listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Here, help me. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Good morning. How's everyone this morning? So far, so good, right? We're jumping in to our second uh, sermon on forgiveness. And it, um, you know, this is, uh, again, as we progressively get through this series, uh, I'm confident that it, it has a tendency to, to dredge up a lot of things for us. And so that's a good thing, right? Having the struggles that we face exposed uh, to the light where God continues to show us more about him, himself, that we're more self-aware about the hurts and wounds and challenges that we're facing um, is difficult, but is an act of God's mercy and rescue. So let me just pray for us one more time as we jump into this text. We, again, will be in Matthew 18. So Jim did a great job last week on setting the parameters for this text. We're going to jump into the same text again as last week because what we really want to do is not just uh, kind of run through this quickly, but really build the foundation and make sure the infrastructure is there so that as we move towards dealing with forgiveness, we're doing so with very clear categories on how we're called to understand and extend that forgiveness as well as receive it. So would you join me one more time in prayer, please? Father, you are a God of infinite mercy. You are a God who has extended us forgiveness. Lord, you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness. You've transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved son. You've called us children. And in the process of those things, you are also growing and shaping us. And so I would ask this morning for every single one of us that there's a reality that we are likely harboring and nourishing wounds inside of our heart. Some we are okay with looking at and some we just don't want to deal with. And so, Lord, I pray for mercy this morning that your rescuing grace would enact and and involve and just draw us close to yourself, that there would be a, a step of faith and an act of courage to move towards you, that you would continue to set us free from the sins that have been done to us and maybe even the sins we've done to others and those things in the past that we continue to use to nourish parts of our own uh, feeling like we've been harmed and victimized in ways that it's very difficult to deal with. And so we trust you. We ask that you would do what only you can do, and that is change our hearts. And so we trust you for that this morning. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so a couple things I've learned since we've been in Texas, uh, and, and it, 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 there's, there's a lot of unique things ab- about Texas for sure. Great place. We, we love it here. But there's some surprising and predictable things that happens every time there's potential that it's going to rain. Here's number one, right? You guys are watching the television screen. The weatherman comes on and says, looks like there's a cold front coming in. Uh, it's going to start raining at 5 o'clock. And here's the conversation it seems like in a lot of people's homes. Well, we got to batten down the hatches. Probably not going to go anywhere. We'll wait this one out. Uh, get out the DoorDash menus. We'll have, we'll just bring in. We, we can't go anywhere because it, it just might not be safe outside. And so we're going to lock everything down and just, just wait this storm out. And then really what happens, right, is the rain doesn't come until 10 p.m. And it rains overnight and everything's fine. It's not a big deal. 
right? But there's just this sense that somehow in some way, and I know that there's been catastrophic weather that comes through Texas. And so there's always this worry about hail and cars and all of those things. But there's just this like overprotective reality. Like, oh, if it's going to start raining, roads are going to be slick. I, I just can't be out. We're just going to lock it down. We'll make it out. We'll just be as safe as we can and order in. Here's the other thing. After the rain, what typically happens is you walk out to your yard. What do you see? Fire ants. Man, those things are freaking ridiculous. Like literally just a mess. And so you can see some of these huge mounds that have been out there. And you can, you can see them and they're, they're visible as you walk out your front door and you see these mounds coming up. And there's not a lot of activity unless you kick the mound, but you can, you can see it. And then there are other smaller mounds that are a little bit more sinister because those are the ones you don't see until you step on them. As you're mowing the lawn, sure enough, you step on these fire ant mounds and they start to bite and you're like, oh yeah, there was one right there. That's an entry point into our conversation with regards to forgiveness. Let me suggest to you this morning that many of us are walking wounded. And what ends up happening is just like when fire ant, mounds, the fire ant mounds, there's there's fire ants that are underneath the surface and they're they're running rampant. They just haven't built the mound yet. And when it rains and the uh, ground is softer, they end up building those things. And and for some people who have been wounded for a long time, you can see the hurt a mile away. They're potentially abrasive and reactive. If you talk to them, all they will do is tell you their story of their wounds. <laughs> you can see that getting close to them is difficult because they bristle and are aggressive or distant and feel like they struggle with just being close. There's just a, a level of harshness to how they interact with other people in relationships. And then there are others who are walking wounded where they're dealing with these scars that exist inside. And you can't tell. They're pretty good at masquerading those things. But you say one thing and do one thing or you get too close to that space where they've been hurt and you'll find out. <laughs> you'll find out what it feels like to feel some of the upsetness and the difficulty and maybe even some of the wrath that comes out as you step on that very sensitive spot. And I think in all of our lives, in, in many ways, we find ourselves walking around with that idea that everyone here and everyone we interact with, myself included, in some ways is walking wounded. You would confess if you were up here and felt the freedom to that you've been hurt, been hurt by people you've loved and hurt by people you've trusted. And for many of us, we would also say that we've done some of the hurting. We've wounded people that we deeply love. We've minimized their value. We've said things that we wished we never would have. All of us, in some ways, are walking around as those fire ant mounds, just wondering what the next thing is where we're going to react poorly or someone will react poorly to us. And I think that's the reason for this sermon series on forgiveness, is that often if we're not looking and understanding biblically and theologically about the core reality of what forgiveness really is biblically, what we'll do is we'll put a band-aid over a very significant wound in our life, just expecting that if we sweep it under the rug, it'll go away and it never goes away. 
And so habitually, we find ourselves wrestling with the same thing over and over again. We've distanced ourselves from particular relationships. We've become very protective of letting some people too close. The ability to trust is more and more difficult. The circle of the people that we've allowed in grows smaller and smaller. Jim laid out last week some very significant things that are important for us to consider, not the least of which as we think about forgiveness, we realize that the one that is forgiving is the one that absorbs the debt. That there is a cost always associated with hurt and with forgiveness, and the one willing to forgive is the one willing to absorb the cost of the debt. The essential elements of what forgiveness really means. But what he laid out as well is that we would get to what he called BWAs. But what about? (laughs) And anytime you jump into the conversation of forgiveness, you're wrestling with very niche, very nuanced, very specific places that you and I have been hurt. But what about this? But what about that? This morning, as Jim had promised, we're going to jump into a couple of the BWAs. The places where we have wrestled very specifically with things and they are kind of how we process those hurts that have gone really, really deep. Here are some of the but whatabouts that we'll address this morning. How about those who don't ask for forgiveness or refuse to admit any wrong or seek to explain away the offense? How about those who you have talked to and said, you have hurt me in this way, and all that they've done is they've said, it's not my fault, that's not true, you're the one who's done this, and you can see how volcanic it gets. But what about that? The willingness to offer forgiveness and someone unwilling to admit that there's been a wrong. It's a tough one. What about those who have deeply hurt us and who are deceased and unknown? Maybe many of us have walked through some level of abuse of parents and they're no longer here. How can I extend forgiveness when when someone is no longer around? Or let's say that things have happened in such a way and a spouse has been abused and, and the relationship has fallen apart and there's very little interaction. How can there be an ability to extend forgiveness when there's no admittance of wrong? When We've been hurt in very significant ways. But what about that? What does the Bible expect of me in those moments? But what about if I can't forgive myself? That's another challenging one that we've talked about numerous times. The challenge is, yes, I can receive some forgiveness, but I feel like there's a need for me to continue to punish myself because I'm so embarrassed at the decisions that I made. Or here's my favorite. I'll forgive, but I won't forget. These are the but what abouts that Matthew 18 in some ways is going to address for us this morning. The the real understanding of those places where those deep wounds exist and, and actually addressing them with courage and faith that the Holy Spirit can really bring about healing through honesty and truth. So if you will, look with me in Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to be starting in verse 22. Like we read last week, we're going to take it in sections. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me 
and I forgive him. As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. All right, so just at the very basic level, here's the challenge that Peter is asking Jesus. I move towards a person that I'm in relationship with, and they've hurt me. They've said things, and they've done things. They've sought forgiveness, and they've repented of their sin, but they keep doing the same thing. It's as though no change has occurred. And so where I find myself struggling is how much do I have to continue to extend forgiveness in those types of situations? It feels like there's no real repentance. They just say sorry to say sorry and move on. And yet they continue to do the same thing over and over and over again. What's my role? How do I respond to that type of situation? I'll forgive them seven times like you're keeping a record of what forgiveness looks like and Jesus begins to blow this up off the map and say, how about 77 times? That in reality, as we think about biblical forgiveness, there's no limits. That's a hard thing to internalize. It feels difficult to digest in the expectation that what is Christ actually asking of us? That we just sign up to continue to take hurt and abuse and conversations and challenges time and time again without ever really expecting any change? Well, I think Jesus gives us some insight as he shares this parable. He says this in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So the picture is, is that you've got this king over this kingdom, but you get a, a window into the heart of the king. And the heart of the king says, here's what I want to do. I want to settle accounts. I want to extend forgiveness. I want things to be with those who are in my kingdom. I want to be in relationship with them. I have a longing and a desire to protect and provide a safe and secure relationship with them. My longing and desire is to extend forgiveness with those who are in my kingdom. Now, in the process of this parable, we're obviously getting a picture of what Jesus is saying is that God is the king of the kingdom, and the longing of God and what is close to his heart is to extend forgiveness to all those who are willing to confess and repent. To turn from themselves and move towards a relationship with God. That there's this consistent view of God's mercy where he's extending it in so many regular ways. That there's not a moment where someone would come and seek forgiveness from the king of the universe and be turned away. It would never happen that forgiveness is extended to all those who ask as many times as they ask. That's the view of the king and the kingdom. And so this is what he says in verse 24. When he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Like we talked about last week, this is an unpayable debt. It is so extravagant that there is no way this debt could ever be paid off in multiple lifetimes. It was so extravagant that the thought that there was even an ability to make a dent in the debt, it was impossible. And so here's what the king of the kingdom says in verse 25. 
And since he could not pay his debt, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and and payment to be made. Verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. How many times have you prayed that very prayer? I mean, let me just ask. When we're talking about the BWAs, this is the essence of I can receive forgiveness, but I can't forgive myself. There's this transactional reality of saying, look, I'm so sorry. I know how much I owe you. I promise to do everything I can to do better. I will show you that I will pay off all the debt that I owe you. The impossible reality of paying for this debt, and yet in this gentleman's flesh, this servant, this individual as part of this kingdom, is there's no way that he's able gonna be, ever able to gonna be do that. Ever able to do that. Man, I'm way ahead of myself. But the, the point of this is just what he's communicating so clearly is that our desire to handle forgiveness is that we think that we can make up the debt that we've incurred. That we could somehow, in some way, do something in the midst of our own ability to make up for the debt that took place. And it's unrealistic. It's actually even silly and foolish to think that the debt that has been incurred is something that we can make up for. So this is what he says in verse 27. Out of pity for him, the master of the ser- that servant released him and forgave the debt. So there's a difference between debt forgiveness and debt consolidation. You can consolidate debt, and so you can make someone pay just a little bit, or you can fully and completely forgive the debt. And here's what the king of this kingdom says, that forgiveness is extended, that he absorbed the billions of dollars that this gentleman owed the king and said, I will absorb that cost. That no longer do you have to pay. The debt has been fully and completely canceled. At this point, as we think about where God is moving us to forgiveness, I think the first point of what God is getting at in the context of this parable is that in order to deal biblically with forgiveness, you have to do business with God first. You have to be willing to lay our hearts on the line in the midst of every wound that you and I have experienced in the context of our life, the starting point is not the person who's wounded you. The starting point is not the offense that's been done. The starting point is not the change in the person who's hurt you. The starting point is being willing to do business with God. What is it that is going on in my life. How do I understand the complexities of the wound and the hurt? None of it is being minimized. The debt is the debt. None of it is being swept under the rug. It's being exposed for what it is. But the context of what this initial parable is getting at is that the king is settling accounts with his servants. That there is something inside of us that God is doing and addressing and helping us expand our understanding of the reason why this hurts so much. In some ways, it's because we come to the conclusion that we are sinners as well. Even when we've been 
wounded, we are those who have received an extravagant grace from God. So the starting point is doing business with God first. And what does that do? That gives us a, a window and understanding, better lenses to understand those who have hurt and wounded us. Tim Keller says, here's how he understands it. Anytime he's been wounded, the first place that he starts is obviously with God. And secondarily, he comes to the realization that everyone around him and everyone that's hurt him is two things, co-sinners and co-humans. That we are along the same path. The challenges that people are walking through are walking through likely because they've been hurt too. And maybe we're seeing that big fire ant mound or maybe we've stepped on a smaller one, but we're coming to the realization that those who are hurting us have likely been hurt by others. And so we move to dealing with God first, doing business with our own hearts, recognizing that the context of where God is calling us to is to think about what God is compelling us to in the midst of this relationship. When there's been hurt, when there's been abuse, when we've done things that we're so ashamed of that we're not sure we can forgive ourselves, the most primary relationship that motivates forgiveness is a relationship, a reconciled relationship with the God of the universe. That's the only source of strength to be able to move forward into any earthly relationship. It has to start with God first. Forgiveness is a supernatural reality that is dressed up in human relationships. And so here's what happens is that God doesn't move us to debt consolidation, but debt forgiveness. The debt no longer exists. The king has absorbed the cost. And you can imagine for a moment as we dive into thinking about the response of those things, how grateful this servant would have been. You mean that I don't have to pay you a penny. There's nothing else that I have to do to be able to make up for all of the incredible financial burden that I've put on you. The debt has been forgiven. In that moment, what would be your expectation? <laughs> Man, everything would be great. All other relationships would be clear. Things would be easy and you would move towards seeing others in such a way that if they had hurt you it would be incomparable to the amount of hurt that you had done to someone else and you have been forgiven for those things and rescued in real and innumerable ways and so kindness generosity and gratitude would be a result doesn't seem to be human nature look at verse 28 look what happens but when that same servant went out he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Just a, a minimal, infinitesimal amount compared to what he's just been forgiven. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe me. Again, there's this sense in which those who have been forgiven of a great debt, you would think biblically the principle is, would also forgive others. Those who've been forgiven much forgive much. And yet that's not always true, is it? Right? There's this harboring of resentment and harshness, this sense of feeling isolated and struggling with the reality of what's been done to you. So it is possible, according to this text, 
that you and I can be those who receive an amazing amount of mercy from the God of the universe, a debt that we could never pay, that we've been absolutely transformed by the loving graciousness of the king of the universe. And we can be harsh and unmerciful towards those who's hurt us. Like, this is awesome, the text. Embedded in this reality, we can look through the text itself and come to the conclusion that absolutely, there have been people who have hurt me that what I want most for them is them to pay. <laughs> I want them to deal with the justice of what has to be done. I want them to know how poorly they've treated me and how badly they've done. I want them to come to the recognition of the cost of the relationship. And yet, according to this text, that moves me into an unbiblical reality of how I'm interacting with people around me. So if it's true that those who've been forgiven much forgive much, what's missing in this servant's heart? What's missing in mine? Well, I think it's the reality of the amazing amount of rescue that I've received. That's what I tend not to see. I can identify the fire at mounds in every single one of our lives. I can look and see where you've hurt me. I can be very clear with where I feel like I've been hurt and pained. And yet sometimes I struggle with realizing the offenses that I've done and what I've been forgiven from. Because those who forgive, have been forgiven much, forgive much. So what do we have to do? Like what's the second step for doing business with God and thinking about the reality of, of what God wants to do in us? What's, what's next? I think it's very clear in this text that the Bible tells us that we have to define the debt. We have to be very, very, very clear about what the offense is. He's talking about 10,000 talents and 100 denarii, very specific with regards to what the offense is. Here's what happens when we're dealing relationally with forgiveness. What do we say? You hurt me. I want you to apologize. Well, how? How did I hurt you? Be specific with the reality of what that hurt is. It's impossible to extend forgiveness when there's no reality of what the fence actually is. What is it that really bothered you? What is it that caused you that wound? What is it that bothered you? And the more definitive we are with the debt, the more clear we are with understanding what the forgiveness looks like. When we keep it so general, there's no ability to understand whether or not the debt's actually been forgiven. It's just about an emotion. It's just about a feeling. It's not about a specific reality of where the wound occurred. The Bible gives us some clarity that we are called to define the debt. That forgiveness is extended when confession and repentance have occurred. So there are those who may never ask forgiveness and are no longer with us. How are we able to forgive? And I want to lay out to you two realities of what forgiveness can look like. And I think for me, this was pretty life-altering in terms of thinking through the reality because there are people in our lives that will never admit that they've done anything wrong. <laughs> no matter how many times they're told, no matter how clear the debt is, they will absolutely, in so many self-righteous ways, decide that everybody else is wrong but them. Or there are those where we never have the opportunity to communicate to them the hurt that they've caused. Whether it's 
a deceased one that's been in our life, whether it's someone that's abused us as a spouse and the, their, their relationship has ended, what does God expect of us in those critical moments of life? I think there's two realities of what forgiveness can look like. Relational forgiveness and released forgiveness. So relational forgiveness means that I can be in relationship with someone and that we can communicate about the reality of what the offense is and where the hurt lies and we can allow the Holy Spirit to do the necessary work to begin the process of repairing what's been broken. So there's an opportunity for confession. There's an opportunity for addressing the specific hurt. And you can do so in the context of a relationship. Matthew 18 communicates about that earlier on. If you have an offense against your brother, what do you do? You take it to your brother. And he understands the debt. And it's been clear. And he repents of that debt. It's all done. It's forgiven. It's it's, it's over. But then there are moments where it's not over. And so you bring a couple other people in just to clarify the issues. And then you bring the church in. And if no repentance occurs, then there's a reality of, oh, the relationship now changes. And that relationship changes to the point where the uh, idea that we are brothers and sisters in Christ is unlikely. So I treat them as, a, as someone who doesn't know Jesus. And I begin now with the gospel of what it means to be rescued by the saving power of Jesus Christ. So the relationship shifts as we walk through the Matthew 18 component. What he's saying is that we're dealing with it relationally. Releasing debt is for those we might not ever have the forum to address. And what that means is that the forgiveness that we're extending is that we're releasing them to just have to deal with God on God's terms. That we are not going to be the one that's enacting justice or punishment. We are not the one that is deciding specifically what the consequences of that relationship are because of the hurt that they've caused. We're giving them over to God and we're releasing God to be God in that moment and knowing that there will be moments where they will have to answer and God will address the very things going on in their heart. But we're releasing them and releasing ourselves from being the one that has to decide what happens to them. That, I think sometimes, is infinitely more difficult. We do it, and then sometimes we pick it back up because the offense still lives and breathes. So let me suggest to you a couple of things. Forgiveness may remove resentment and relinquish my need to be the judge, but it might not remove earthly consequences. That there are times in the midst of relational fractures and an inability for individuals that are part of our life to continue to cause necessary harm, that having them continue to be a part of allowing them space to continue to do those things is unwise. So what the Bible then tells us is that there's a sense of releasing them under the care of God and allowing him to do the work in the space that we can't. So we're praying for their best. We're asking God to do the deepest things in their heart to begin the process of transformation in their lives. We're actually praying that the best things would happen to them, i.e. that they would come to a recognition of the rescuing power of Christ. And then he would begin the process of change. But we release our authority to do anything to make that relationship what we think it needs to look like. And so we release them under the tender care of the Father, who is the only God who fairly judges. (laughs) He's the only one that can enact honest, good, fair justice. 
And so there are consequences. There are things that sometimes relationships do fracture. There are things where we can provide forgiveness, but restoration might not be the end result. Reconciliation in relationships does not always happen. And that doesn't mean that forgiveness isn't present. This is a place where we're releasing them to allow God to be the one that is dealing fairly and justly with them. All right, so let's look at the rest of this text really quickly and see how poorly he responded. But when the same servant went out in verse 28 and found one of his servants who owed him 100 denarii and seizing him and began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded, have patience with me and I will pay you. Verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. As in anger, and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother in your heart. And what he's saying is that ultimately, like those fire at mounds, when the storm comes, all of what's underneath pops out, that the reality of unforgiveness as it lives and breathes inside of us imprisons us. It imprisons us through the bars of bitterness. The reality that we are captivated by feeling like things have to look a certain way. So here's the fundamental truth that I think this text is asking us to sit in this morning. And I, I need my heart to hear this, and I need your heart to hear this. We will never be asked to forgive more than we have been forgiven. You will never be asked to extend grace more than grace has already been extended to you. You will never, in the context of this human experience, be asked to extend forgiveness to the person that hurt you more than you have already been forgiven by the God of the universe. We sit in this reality knowing that as we begin to think about how to tenderly, graciously, and, and compassionately extend forgiveness to those who's hurt us. This doesn't mean we put ourselves in situations where wounds continue to occur. What we're saying is that either we're relationally forgiving an individual or we're releasing them to the tender care of the Father, but what we're doing is we're praying that God would work in innumerable ways in their life that the wounds that they experience wouldn't be what defines them as much as we don't want it to define us. The hurt that we felt and the hurt that we see in others that we love we would turn over to the tender care of God and we would say, look, I realize how much I've been forgiven and I know that you will never be able to ask me to forgive someone else more than I've already been forgiven. It changes everything. It allows us to put down our swords to prove that we are right and others are wrong and to move towards an empowered relationship with other people through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a humility that is embedded in this text. It moves us away from those who have to be the ones that are right 
or those are the ones who have to decide what justice looks like. And it allows us to realize that we are those who've been forgiven 10,000 talents. And yet we find ourselves ready to choke those who owe us 100 denarii. That is our human nature. When I was in seminary, we were asked to preach. Haddon Robinson was my, my preaching professor, and he asked us to preach what he called a first-person narrative. And so what that meant is he gave us this text, and he asked us to think about what it would look like to communicate from a first-person perspective about the reality of what forgiveness might look like, that we would tell a story, in essence, of, of how this story, this parable, came to fruition and how we could apply it. And so I, I preached a story uh, about someone who had been egregiously hurt and found themselves wounded in significant ways and then erupted and reacted very poorly against someone else who had, had barely even hurt him at all. And the story was that I found myself in prison <laughs> behind bars and I was remorseful and sad. I came to the recognition that somehow in some way I had erred in significant ways. After I preached my first person narrative, Haddon Robinson asked me, he said, do you, do you think after that point where he was put in prison that he felt bad for the decision that he made? And I said, I, I think so. I mean, that was kind of the essence of what I was getting at. And he said, that came across in your message. But he said, that hasn't been my experience. Most people don't change. <laughs> that likely, from Dr. Robinson's perspective, that man would have been doubly angry that he got caught and less humble for the recognition of the reality of the situation. And that's stuck with me ever since. That I know that on the table and the banquet of my own heart, I can nourish my bitterness on the wounds of those who have hurt me. I have instant recall. <laughs> I can tell you right now specific people who have ticked me off. None of you are there. But um, people who have wounded me in significant ways, people who have said things, maybe just in jest, that, that have absolutely hit me to the core. And I can... I can nourish myself on those things. And you know what I feel when I do that? I feel bitter towards them, and I feel better than them. And the challenge is, this text pushes against every ounce of that buffet on my heart and communicates with the reality that I am not that which gets to nourish bitterness. I am that which has been rescued, who did not deserve it. The debt that I incurred against a holy and righteous God never was worthy of being forgiven. The things that I've done and even at times continue to do that I daily receive God's forgiveness, I have more than one time, I have, I've reached the quota of 77 times. Or even if you look at the text and it's 70 times seven, so 490 times if my math is even close, I've offended a holy God. And there's not once that he has been unwilling to extend forgiveness to me. Man, that is life altering. I will never be asked to extend forgiveness more than I've been forgiven. Would you pray with me?
Father, you are good to us. You, you care so deeply about your people. And I sense even in this moment, there are many of us, maybe even myself included, that are hanging on to significant past hurts. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, tells us that you came to set the captives free. Lord, would you, would you unlock the prison cell of our hearts? Would you set us free from the anger and bitterness to the wounds that have been done? Would you move us towards relational forgiveness or releasing forgiveness? Would you allow us to trust you that you are the God of justice, that you always judge fairly? And when we are hurt, God, would we do business with you first? And then would we be clear to define the debt, the, the area that we've been hurt as, with as much clarity as we can? And then, God, would you help us always be reminded that you will never ask us to forgive more than we've already been forgiven. For your glory and in your grace, we ask these things in Christ's name.